We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, December the 30th, 2019. On today's show, as we wrap up the decade, I hand out some awards in the All-Decade Award Show, including Team of the Decade, Player of the Decade, Most Memorable Moments, the Most Heartbreaking Loss, the All-Decade Team, and much, much more. Also, talking about the college football playoff, LSU-Oklahoma, Clemson-Ohio State, my takeaways, my reactions to what was a crazy day on Saturday afternoon of the college football playoff. Got some news and notes to get into as well, your listener questions, and a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks fullback Garrison Gist that I know you are sure to enjoy. Before we get into everything, this is a podcast to you by our friends over at Ag South Farm Credit. Guys, most lenders don't understand land financing. AgSouth Farm Credit specializes in land financing and has been doing it for over 100 years. So AgSouth Farm Credit, they make loans for small and large acreage, hunting property, timberland, farm and pasture land, even home mortgages and construction. There's a ton of great benefits, including long-term fixed rate financing for 20 years, down payments as low as 15%. They have competitive rates and they pay an average of 25% of the interest back every year as what they call patronage. They're a cooperative, so they share in their profits with their member borrowers. So guys, for example, on a $300,000 loan at 6.5% for 20 years, you would get back $2,770 each year. They're literally putting money back in your pocket. They have an experienced lending staff that knows land and knows how to finance. So guys, when you're making a big-time life decision, whether it's getting a mortgage, you're buying land, you're getting married, you're buying a car, whatever it may be, whenever there's a decision made of some magnitude involved, you want to make sure you have the right people in your corner, people that you can depend on, that you can trust, that are going to make you feel comfortable throughout the process and feel comfortable about that decision. Ag South Farm Credit is that lender. I know a lot of people ask them one of the most common questions that they get. The name obviously has farm credit in it. Are they just for farmers? It's, it's, it's an often misconception that Ag South Farm Credit is just for farmers. They're not at all. So their mission is to support rural America, and that can include just about anything that involves the purchase of land. So a lot of their customers are those that just want a piece of property outside of the town that they can live on. So no, you do not have to be a farmer to go with Ag South Farm Credit. They can help out anyone that wants to buy land. So if you have any more questions on what Ag South Farm Credit can do, give them a call 844-AG-SOUTH or visit their website, agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S. Again, that's, again, that's A-G-S-O-U-T-H-F-C dot com slash T-S-U-S. Ag South an equal housing, housing lender, NMLS 619-788. So again, their website, agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S or give them a call 844-AG-SOUTH and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up show sent you. All right, let's get into it. What is it you want to do when you 
Hello, everyone. What is up? We are back after a long hiatus, taking the Christmas week off. I hope everyone had a very, very Merry Christmas. I hope Santa was good to all of you. It feels good to be back, though. A long week without the podcast. We are finally back. And I know this week is New Year's week, and I think a lot of people are probably still on vacation. For me, it's like I feel like the New Year's already started. I don't know. Just this Monday, it's like it feels like the New Year started, but I hope you're all enjoying your holiday. If you're still off, even if you're at work, wherever you're at, hopefully you're enjoying your holiday. I hope the big man was good to you on Christmas. And obviously, we've got New Year's Eve on Tuesday, New Year's Day, Wednesday, a lot of good college football coming. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I know I went home, enjoyed the time with the family. Santa was good to me, um, had a very good Christmas, turned a year older as well. It was very nice to relax, unwind, get away from it a little bit, but feels very, very good to be talking to you guys once again, to be back on the airwaves. It's been far too long, um, been far, far too long. So very excited, obviously, to sit down, talk with you guys, get back on the horse, if you will. Really, really excited for today's show. We got a pack on a ton of stuff to talk about. Before we get into everything, a couple housekeeping items as we always start off. I do have some big announcements uh, that I do want to let you guys know about. First things first, if you haven't done so, rate the show. Go leave five stars. Go leave your feedback. It helps boost up the show. Uh, really, really do appreciate those that have already done so. But if you haven't, click the pause button. Go leave five stars on whatever platform you're listening on. Really do appreciate that. Also, if you're not subscribed, I'm not sure what you're doing, click that subscribe button. You'll get daily notifications as this obviously is a daily podcast. Every, every single day, new episodes dropping. Be sure to click the subscribe button. You're going to get those notifications when those daily podcasts drop. Um, also, you guys probably saw this was released on Christmas Day, but I have a very, very limited amount of the Forever to Three black t-shirts and the US Three t-shirts, 100% of the proceeds going towards Helensky's Hope, a very, very limited number. Like I, I don't expect to have any more through the end of the week. We had some leftover from the Palmetto Moon deal selling those, giving the proceeds back. To Holinsky's Hope, so if you want a t-shirt, act fast. They are on the website, tsus.store. They're on social media. You guys will probably see them there as well. Um, but be sure to go snag one if you want. Again, 100% of the proceeds towards Holinsky's Hope, and they will not last long. Um, also, I, I like to keep you guys in the know, obviously, kind of what I'm thinking. And again, I, I told you guys, this, this Monday today, I don't know, for me, it's kind of like in my head, I've already flipped the calendar to 2020, right? I've been kind of plotting and scheming and planning on 2020, but – very, very excited for some content announcements, some things going to be bringing to the show. And it's not major changes, if you will, but it's, it's a lot more organized, I guess you could say. And you guys have probably seen it coming. For example, the first thing I'm going to talk about, the YouTube live Q&A stuff, that is here to stay. It's actually going to be named The Daily Crow. So we're bringing The Daily Crow back, but it's going to be YouTube live Q&A. So it'll be... Um, still kind of a little informer of you in, the, in regards to not 100% sure when we're going to do them just because there's going to be times where games happen and other stuff happens. But that's going to be a part of the content rotation for you guys. That's going to be as often as I can be at least two or three times a week. Um, so really, really excited about that. Also, the vlog is making a return. I'm very, very pumped about the vlog coming back. I love doing the vlog. Um, not sure. I think I'll probably drop the first one. Um, Wednesday, New Year's Day, just to kind of kick off the new year, but I'm extremely excited either way. Extremely excited about the vlog. Really, really pumped about the vlog and the possibilities with that. So really excited about that. Also, social media, you guys obviously know where to find the Spurs Up show, but if you haven't followed us on these platforms, TikTok, Snapchat, other platforms like that, I think you guys probably already follow on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, yada, yada, yada. But those platforms, the Spurs Up show is really 
going to be hammering. I'm going to be hammering those platforms, especially TikTok. You guys haven't seen. I've, I actually really enjoy TikTok. That is a hysterical app, by the way. But Snapchat, if you guys want to look, get, look you know, kind of a behind-the-scenes look, you, you know, add the Spurs Up show on Snapchat. TikTok will be right there on the Spurs Up show as well. Be sure to add. Just going to be a lot of stuff. The content is going to be poured on as we go into 2020, so just want to make you guys aware of that. I'm extremely, extremely excited for what's to come. All right, let's dive into the meat of the show. We're going to start. This is an award show, the All-Decade Award Show. This was a very hot topic during Christmas week as people were sort of looking for things to talk about. Let's be honest, there really wasn't a lot going on. A lot of people were having conversations about your all-decade teams and your all-decade lineups for specific sports. I'm going to hand out my own awards for the all-decade show, and we're going to start with the team of the decade. Now, before I get into all of these, this is going across the entire spectrum of sports, the athletic department. This is not just football. This is not just baseball, but whatever. It's across all sports. So if you're wondering why I picked a certain team or whatever, if I'm leaving someone out, tried to mix it up a little bit. And these are my personal selections here. Um, so we're going to start with the team of the decade. And I went back and forth on this one because I think there are a lot of good options here for team of the decade. Teams that certainly, certainly achieved a lot. And I asked this question on social media, you know, what, is it one of, is it the 2017 women's basketball national champions? Is it the final four team? Is it the 2012 or 13 football team? Is it one of the baseball team? Like which one is it? There's a lot of worthy teams during this decade that South Carolina's had that were extremely successful. The one I came back to though, and I know it's going to seem kind of typical for me because I am a baseball guy. But it's not the 2011 team in my book, because I think that's the one that won the poll on Twitter was the 2011 baseball team was named the team of the decade by you, the fans. To me, it's the 2010 baseball national champions. And I'll tell you why. To me, they are the team of the decade because that is the team, that 2010 team, I could argue South Carolina does not have at least as much success as it's had this decade if that team doesn't find a way to win the College World Series. I really feel like that team being able to battle, win it all, come through, that, that really was the spark the athletic department needed. And all the other sports sort of looked at each other and said, you know what, we can do this. We can win big at South Carolina. We can win championships. I really believe that mindset and that, that sort of – that shockwave was felt after that 2010 team found a way. I think if that 2010 team does not find a way to win it, it's another near miss for South Carolina, and the Gamecocks are still struggling to win a national championship and really have that belief that they can do it. So to me, that 2010 baseball team, the team of the decade that I really feel like got everything going and really set up a lot of the success that we saw in the decade. Obviously, when you talk specifically about that team, a phenomenal baseball team, a, a team full of dramatics, extremely tough. Whit Merrifield with the walk-off hit. I mean, there's, you know, you guys know the story. I don't have to really explain why they're worthy of that title. But to me, that 2010 team, not just for what they did, winning the first national title, you know, in one of the big three sports for South Carolina, but I think it really sparked what we saw the rest of the decade with the other sports kind of picking it up and having a ton of success um, throughout the 2010s. Uh, the player of the decade. And again, this spans across all sports. The player of the decade in my mind, um, again, I know a lot of people are going to lean on football here, but to me, when you take a look at her resume, there really is no way you can go with anyone else. When you look at just accomplishments, what she did, the individual achievements, the team achievement of leading the Gamecocks to the 2017 national title, 
the player of the decade, no question in my mind, is Asia Wilson. Um, I mean, there are so many accolades to read. I'm going to read down the list of some of the major ones. 2015, she made the SEC All-Freshman team, and she was SEC Freshman of the Year. She was four-time first-team All-SEC, three-time SEC Player of the Year, three-time consensus first-team All-American, consensus national player of the year in 2018. She was the most outstanding player in the NCAA tournament in 2017 when the Gamecocks won the national championship. I mean, that list of achievements is on – there's nobody else in the decade, in my opinion, that had that list, that those type of achievements, that had that type of resume. I mean, you can look at a guy like Connor Shaw and say, well, the winningest quarterback in school history, best quarterback in school history, didn't win a national title. The only other one I'd say was pretty would be pretty close for me personally is a guy like Michael Roth, because um, I don't think you win those baseball. I know you don't win those national titles for baseball without a guy like Michael Roth, but when you look at the body of work, when you look at Asia Wilson's career as a whole, you read off those accolades, like I said, there's really nobody else in the decade that had the type of success on an individual and, again, and on a team level as well that Asia Wilson had. Definitely deserves the honor. She deserves the award, and that's why she is my player of the decade for the Gamecocks in the 2010s. Uh, most memorable moment. Most memorable moment of the decade. This, this one was pretty tough. And this, again, this one is more personal to me. I think everyone's probably going to have a different most memorable moment. For a lot of you, it's probably when you were in williams Bryce Stadium in 2012 when Ace Sanders took the punt to the house. That's probably going to be a lot of people's answers. I wasn't in the stadium for that. And, you know, I'm just thinking there's so many. I mean, there's just so many memorable moments. But I will say this for me, and I don't know if it's recency bias, but and I wasn't in the stadium, I wasn't in Athens, but the win against Georgia this football season, as bad as this year was, that might be for me the most memorable moment of the decade. I mean, really, I feel like 20 years from now, I'm going to be telling my kids, my grandkids, whatever, where I was, what I was doing, who I was with when Rodrigo Blankenship missed that kick. I mean, to be able to, you know, like I said, I wasn't in Athens, unfortunately, but to be able to watch it with friends, um, had a watch party that day for the Spurs Up show. We were at Tannehill's group therapy that day, had a watch party, had a ton of my friends there to be able to celebrate with them, to, for South Carolina to pull that win and probably what's the biggest upset in school history. I'll tell you, the, the one that was close to it for me personally, again, was 2013 Clemson when Farrow Cooper threw to Brandon Wilds and South Carolina scored a touchdown and the Gamecocks won their fifth in a row over Clemson. I, I, I'll never forget leaving the stadium that day with a different type of feeling than I've ever had in, in the sense of just feeling like I was on a cloud. I was on cloud nine. But I don't know, man. Again, I don't know if it's recency. I don't know if it's what it is. But that 2019 Georgia game, that, that Georgia win this year, that is the one, honestly, that when I, when I think back on the decade as a whole, and again, maybe it's some recency bias, but there is no moment that stands out more than when Blankenship missed that kick. And just pure elation from Gamecock Nation. I mean, I, I just – it's hard for me to find a moment that really, really tops that one. So, for me, most real moment, 2019, Rodrigo Blankenship. Thank you, sir, for providing that to me. Um, all right, most heartbreaking loss. we got to talk about the losses if we're going to talk about the victories. And I think this one, again, and unfortunately as a Gamecock fan, there are a lot of options here you can go with. What is the most heartbreaking loss for Gamecock fans? I mean, again, there's a lot to pick from. For me, though, 
Personally, I think it was the loss to Gonzaga in the Final Four. And the reason that one hurts so bad is because we all know the story. Sandarius Thornwell is not healthy. He's not able to go. And the only question you can ask yourself as a Gamecock fan is, what if? You know, just what if he's healthy? What if South Carolina gets a crack at UNC in the national title? Um, A tough one. I mean, that run was one of the most – I know a lot of Gamecock fans say that that run of the Final Four was their favorite moment ever as a Gamecock fan. Um, but for me, you know, and it was a great moment for me as well, but that loss to Gonzaga, and I remember watching that game. I was actually downtown in five points watching that game with some friends, how intense that game was, how on the edge of their seats everyone was. And, again, South Carolina, as a South Carolina fan, you have to believe that if Cinderius Thornwell was healthy, the Gamecocks are playing the national title. And from there, who knows what happens. So, to me, I think that's probably the most heartbreaking loss of the decade just because of the what-if question that still to this day lingers around the South Carolina basketball program, what if Cinderia Stonewell had been 100% healthy? What would have happened for South Carolina? So, again, lost to Gonzaga in the Final Four, my most heartbreaking loss. All right, going to change it up a little bit, do something different here. The all-decade lineup. So, what this is going to be, this is going to be kind of like almost like a Mount Rushmore for the decade because you're going to see it's all over the place. It's, got, it's people from different sports. But this is going to be almost like the Mount Rushmore of the 2010s, the all-decade lineup, the all-decade team, the, the team of all teams when we're talking about the decade that was. And basically, I, I'll tell you this. There's another stipulation to it when I was putting together this list. Who are the people you can't tell the history of the 2010s? You can't tell the history of the 2010s without mentioning these people. You have to. You just – you have to. There's no way you can tell the history without mentioning these people. Okay, and so I've got five names here. I'm going to start at number one. We're going to start on the baseball diamond for me. This one was tough because it's tough to leave Whit Merrifield out because he is the guy that got the walk-off hit in 2010. But you absolutely cannot talk about South Carolina baseball in this decade without talking about Michael Roth. You, you just can't. You just can't. I mean, a guy that saved South Carolina's season against Clemson in 2010 in Omaha dealt one of the greatest games ever pitched in a South Carolina uniform. And then in 2011 comes back, he's your ace. He leads you to another title in 2011. Um, you know, you, you can't top that. You, you, there's nobody else, I feel like, on the diamond that can top what he did. And, oh, by the way, it's so funny. Everybody always forgets how good that 2012 team was as well. Gamecocks almost won it for a third straight year. So what Michael Roth did, you, you just can't tell the history of this decade without mentioning Michael Roth. He definitely deserves a place on this list, in my opinion. The second one for my all-decade lineup, this is an easy choice. It is Marcus Lattimore. I, I mean, not even a question. You cannot talk about Gamecocks football in this decade without mentioning Marcus Lattimore. I mean, a guy that really, in my opinion, just completely – change the culture of Gamecock football. He, he was the first guy. I know a lot of people are saying, how could you not put Connor Shaw? How? He's the guy. I, I think without Lattimore, a lot of this success does not happen. He was the guy that started it all, in my opinion. Um, and then also what he's done outside of it, you know, coming back to South Carolina, working on Will Muschamp's staff, like staying around the, you know, staying around the program. Um, no chance in my mind he, he, he could miss this list. He had to be on this list. Marcus Lattimore, a no-brainer, no doubt, the all-time leader in rushing touchdowns. But the impact that he made and has made and is making beyond the field as well at South Carolina speaks volume. So a guy that's got to be on this list as well. Um, 
the next guy on the all-decade lineup, I really just talked about him. But when you talk Gamecocks basketball during the decade, you just have to mention Sundarius Thornwell. I mean, there's just no other – you can't talk about anybody else but Sundarius Thornwell. Um, the only other guy maybe and, – and this feels foolish even comparing him. I mean, he was great in his own right, but Devin Downey, I guess, would have maybe been – I don't think he was totally in this decade his entire career. But Sundarius Thornwell, what he did leading South Carolina to the Final Four, its best finish ever in school history. No questions. I don't even have to explain this one. No doubt Sundarius Thornwell deserves a place on this list. The next name on the all-decade lineup, I've already talked about our Asia Wilson, hands down, the most achieved athlete, individually achieved athlete on this list, obviously being the player of the decade, Asia Wilson, 100% deserving this honor. Um, again, what she did, not only for her team, but just individually, all the awards she racked up, it's a no-brainer here. So definitely Asia Wilson as well. And then my final one, this one may be interesting to some of you, my final selection for the all-decade lineup is going to be Ray Tanner. It's going to be Ray Tanner. And I know a lot of you, we feel, we all kind of feel a certain way right now about Ray Tanner. But, I mean, is there anyone that did – I mean, he, he did as much, if not more, than anyone at the University of South Carolina during the 2010s, during this decade. I mean, we're talking about a guy that, again, led the Gamecocks to back-to-back national titles, led him to a third straight title appearance. After that, took over as the athletic – I mean, there's nobody that's been more involved with South Carolina than Ray Tanner in this decade. He's kind of done a little bit of everything. He's coach. He's been AD. You know, I, I, he's a guy you have to talk about. Uh, he, he's got to be a part of the all-decade lineup. Love him, hate him, whatever you feel about him right now and the way they're handling everything with the football situation and whatever. But Ray Tanner, 100%, has got to be on this list. So, again, my all-decade lineup, Michael Roth, Marcus Lattimore, Sundarius Thornwell, Asia Wilson, and Ray Tanner. That's a pretty damn good list of names of people that have done a lot for South Carolina and in their South Carolina careers and continue to do a lot um, for the Gamecocks. So um, good stuff. Good stuff. A lot of awards handed out. Congratulations to all the winners. Looking forward to this next decade and a very successful, fruitful decade for the Gamecocks as well. All right, let's talk a little bit about the college football playoff. I I just briefly want to touch about it. And again, I, I know there probably will be some of you asking, you know, Oh, why are you talking about this? This is the Gamecocks podcast. This is a talking point for all South Carolina fans. Let's just call a spade a spade, right? I mean, I will say there was as much interaction on the Spurs Up Show social media feeds Saturday night as there are during a South Carolina game. Like, no questions asked. So, definitely want to talk about it. I know a lot of you are interested. You probably saw some of my thoughts at halftime and after the game, but I want to touch really quickly first LSU-Oklahoma. Man, LSU is insane. They are insanely good. It is so much fun to watch a team like LSU that is just so dominant that it just athletes all over the field. Uh, you know, it just they're unstoppable. I, I really don't know how Clemson's going to beat them in the national title, um, but they are unstoppable. I mean, you hang a 49 spot in the first half. Joe Burrow with seven, seven passing touchdowns just makes no sense. Like, it, it's, it's, it's like video games, video game numbers. I'll tell you this, and I'm jumping ahead to the other game, but Oklahoma and Ohio State should never be allowed back in the playoff. They just, they just should not. Should not be allowed back in the playoff after what we saw Saturday night. I mean, Oklahoma, you get boat raced, and Ohio State, you crumble and hand the game to Clemson. I mean, just neither one of these teams. I don't ever want to see these teams back in the playoff. But either way, sticking to that first game, I mean, LSU just dominant. Dominant, dominant. They've, they've got talent everywhere. Those receivers are unreal. Uh, 
Joe Burrow's unreal. Their defense is unreal. And Oklahoma was absolutely not ready to play that type of offense. I mean, I, I don't know. They're, they're, they don't play defense in the Big 12, obviously. But, I mean, my God, man. I, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Um, the Clemson game, how the hell did it happen? How did it happen? Ohio State, you're up 16 and nothing, and you find a way to lose. I, I tweeted, I think at half, that I'll never forgive Ohio State if they find a way to lose this football game, talking about the game Saturday night. And sure enough, sure enough, they found a way. They found a way to lose. And I, I just, you know, the, the, all, the, the, Listen, I, I'm, I'm going to say right now, I'm a Christian, right? I don't, I, I'm, we're, we live in the South. I feel like it's pretty common. I'm a Christian. I'm not an in-your-face-about-it type Christian, but I'm a Christian nonetheless. The God favors Clemson stuff. I, it just with from Dabo Sweeney and his play, it's just, oh, my goodness. It, it is nauseating. It was nauseating. I mean, just, just the, the results, the reaction at the game, the comments, all nauseating. Terrible, horrific. LSU, we need you to do a job. You got to beat Clemson. We need it. We absolutely need it. Saturday night was painful watching that unfold. If you could please do us a favor and beat Clemson. But that, that game, I mean, Trevor Lawrence outruns your defense. I know a lot of people are telling me, oh, he's kind of quick. Dude, no, he's not. If you allow Trevor Lawrence to outrun your defense, you probably deserve to lose that game. O Ohio State – had it in the bag. The refs were terrible. SEC officiating strikes once again. South Carolina didn't get South Carolina didn't get screwed over enough by the SEC officials, so they made sure to stick it up our ass one more time. With the, I mean, what is a catch? What is a football move? What is targeting? Nobody knows what these things are anymore. And it's just like everything that can go Clemson's way in these types of games, it goes their way. Like every single time and I don't understand it and I know you don't understand it either so we got till January 13th is the national title game should be uh should be a lot of fun but yeah it just uh I, I know it was a brutal night for Gamecock fans I mean it's it's a it was a brutal 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 night especially like I said when Ohio State jumps out to a 16 to 0 lead and they can't hold on just can't hold on it's just it's crazy. So, all right, let's get into some news and notes here. Got some things that happened, obviously, over the last week, some stuff I want to touch on really quickly. Uh, one of the big storylines coming out over the weekend, Jordan Birch, um, obviously, when he committed, he did not sign his, na his national letter of intent, which has sent a lot of Gamecock fans into a frenzy, wondering why did he not sign? Is he going to stay committed to South Carolina? What's the deal? Jordan Birch addressing – those, I don't even want to call them rumors, really, but just addressing that question. He was interviewed over the weekend um, just about, you know, again, why he didn't sign and, and kind of what the deal is. Jordan Birch said that the chance to be the man at South Carolina was an important factor. He says he didn't sign because he wants to wait to sign with his high school teammates. So, hopefully, that eases the mind of Gamecock fans everywhere. Jordan Birch is a Gamecock. He's going to be a Gamecock. He's going to sign with Alex Huntley, with his teammate. There is nothing to worry about, period, point blank, end of discussion. Jordan Burch is in Garnet and Black. End of story. So, feel good, Gamecock fans, about that. Also, Gamecocks pick up a transfer. Colin Hill, the quarterback from Colorado State. I tweeted out his stats over the weekend. Um, and a lot of people asked, you know, what does this mean? Like, it, it, 
I'll be honest with you, I don't think he's going to sniff the field. And that's no disrespect to him. But you take a look at his stats, and I understand he was hurt. But you can't ball out at that level. I find it very hard to believe you're going to come into South Carolina and ball out at the SEC level. You never know. Um, but I think it's a decision that totally made sense. You're talking about a guy that went to Dorman High Schools from the state of South Carolina, played for Mike Bobo. If nothing else, it's a great addition for South Carolina just because you have a guy coming in that knows Mike Bobo's system. He knows the playbook. He's going to be able to help out guys like a Ryan Helinski, like a Luke Doty, like, you know, like these guys. And I, you, you hear me, I don't mention the carry-on joiner. A lot of you have asked about the carry-on joiner and saying, well, the quarterback room is crowded. Uh, it's crowded now. I don't see that. I don't think it is at all, actually. I think really right now the only two quarterbacks on the roster are Luke Doty and Ryan Helinski. I think the carry-on joiner's future at South Carolina is at wide receiver. I don't think he will be a quarterback. And if he is a quarterback – I don't think it'll be on South Carolina's roster in 2020. So that's just my opinion. But uh, overall, I mean, again, it's, it's a good pickup in the sense of bringing in some familiarity, somebody that knows Mike Bobo's scheme, knows his system, can sort of mentor Ryan Helinski and Luke Doty. But personally, unless there's something that I'm missing, I don't see this Colin Hill dude coming in and, and taking the starting job or really even playing a lot. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't see it happening. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's touch on basketball too as well. I know I, you know, obviously I have my post game video, and but I do want to mention obviously Gamecocks taking on Stetson today at three o'clock at Colonial Life Arena. But how about South Carolina going on the road to Charlottesville, getting the dub over UVA? I mean, a season changing type of win to go and pull that upset. Kudos to Frank Martin, the staff. Again, I know I already put out a post game video about this and what went down, but it needs to be recognized again. Frank Martin and his crew, what a game. It was a complete game. South Carolina finally played the way that I thought they were going to all season with their guards. A lot of different guys stepping up, making big shots. Jair Bolden, I think, what was he named? SEC Player of the Week. I mean, a huge game, 22 points in that one. So, again, South Carolina taking on Stetson later today at Colonial Life Arena. You would assume the Gamecocks should get the win and go into conference play 9-4. and four. And now this season has a completely different outlook than it did, say, what, two weeks ago um, when South Carolina was staring down the barrel of starting, you know, uh, gosh, eight and eight and five or seven and six or whatever in non-conference play. Now you're going to conference with a, a serious shot to make the tournament. Um, if you can, I think if you win 12 or 13 games in SEC play, you're 100% in the tournament. So Gamecocks now a team that's fighting for that NCAA tournament berth. That win over Virginia, again, changes everything for South Carolina. Very, very good stuff. You got to go beat Stetson. You got to pick it up in conference play when the Gamecocks take on Florida next week at the CLA. Um, but yeah, overall, very, very good stuff. Very, very good stuff from Frank Martin and company. Excited to see how they can use this momentum in the upcoming games in the upcoming weeks as well. Uh, all right, got some listener questions. Going to dive into these. Do I actually have a voicemail? One of you guys left me a voicemail over the break. I do appreciate it. And obviously have some uh, questions on Instagram as well. And then, uh, we'll get in our interview. So let's start with this voicemail here. Chris, buddy, it's Jeff calling from, uh, Charlotte. You might, uh, been familiar with uh, my buddy Dale from Edgefield. Uh, I think he's taking the week off or a couple weeks off from calling y'all. But uh, I just wanted to, uh, to give you a shout, touch on uh, some of the recruiting the last uh, couple weeks. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm real excited. Between uh, Jordan Birch's signing and some of the guys that we got coming back on offense, I think we got a chance to put together a hell of a season. I started looking at the schedule for next year. I think we got a real good shot to start 6-0. We're going to have a tough stretch where we got to go to Florida, 
We've got to play uh, Tennessee and Kentucky. They're going to be much improved. But I think we got a damn good shot to be 6-0 and going to Williams-Price for that A&M game. You know, and uh, shit, I, I don't know uh, what will happen after that. I mean, we got a we got a good shot as, uh, as anybody coming out of the East next year. I'm excited about the direction that Coach Boom has taken the team in. And uh, just, uh, you know, it can't get here soon enough. So, uh, anyway, I just wanted to, uh, to give you a shout. I know it's uh, been kind of a slow time of the year for us, but uh, can't wait for the season to get started next year. Real optimistic. And uh, Spurs up, go Cox. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. All right, Jeff, appreciate the call. How about inject some positivity into your Monday from Jeff? I, I like it a lot, man. Talking about the 2020 season, possibility of starting 6-0. and Leave it to Jeff to insert some positivity in the podcast and into your Monday. I love that. Appreciate that, Jeff. Um, I, I'm not ready to be as bold as you are and say that 6-0 and is even a possibility or that it will happen. There's definitely things to be excited about when you think, you know, you take into account all the guys coming in. I mean, the biggest key – when you look at it, when I just look at it right now, um, I mean, the biggest key for the 2020 season is going to be there's just going to have to be so many newcomers that play major roles. Um, Marshawn Lloyd's going to have to be your guy at running back. You're going to have to have wide receivers step up immediately because outside of Sha Smith, I mean, I know everybody will say, well, what about Josh Van? What about Ortrey Smith? Those guys have not proven they can be consistent contributors. So you need two or three of the freshman wideouts and these skill guys to step up and be those dudes. Um, you need Jordan Birch and Zach Pickens and Alex Huntley and Rick Sandage and J.J. Nigbare and Aaron Sterling. You need those guys to wreak havoc up front. You need, um, you, you need J.C. Horn and Israel McQuamu to have their best seasons as juniors. Um, so there's a lot of things that have to fall into place. I mean, I understand that there are – you know, there, there, there is room for some optimism, no doubt. I'm more so in wait-and-see mode. Like I told you, I'm just I'm not going to get my expectations too high going into this 2020 season. I mean, I think there's still a lot of questions to answer about Mike Bobo and his offensive scheme. Can South Carolina field a competent offense? What's the development of Ryan Holinsky like? Can South Carolina be good enough, consistently enough on defense to win big games? So there's a lot of questions. I mean, there's, there's a lot of questions every year. But those are the only things that I'm, I'm – those are the big things that I'm hesitant about going into the 2020 season. But love it, man. Love the positivity. Love that on a Monday. Appreciate that, Jeff. And appreciate you guys listening. And tell Dale from Edgefield I said what's up, man. Um, and hope you guys had a Merry Christmas as well. All right, let's get in these listener questions and we'll dive in our interview. Um, ben Smitty, 2017, says, LSU or Clemson, who wins? I'm going with LSU right now. I think LSU gets the win. I think they're the best team in college football. I think they're unstoppable. I don't know how Clemson's going to stop them at this point. Um, so, right now, early, I think LSU gets the win 38-30. to 30. I think LSU wins the game. Um, ben Smitty also says, do you believe Bobo will save Muschamp's job? I mean, it depends. Can they score points? Can they score points and can they win games? That's what it's going to come down to. Um, I, can he? I mean, maybe. If the scheme is good enough and South Carolina can find some sort of consistency on offense, maybe. I don't see it necessarily, but – it's certainly a possibility. I think he definitely can if – because if the Gamecocks get better offensive production, there should be some more wins in the win column, which is the only thing that's going to save his job. Um, A.J. Bowers underscore 11. I legit think we can shock a lot of people next season with this group. Again, it's just going to come down to me. What I think is just there's going to have to be so many newcomers that contribute. There's going to have to be so many newcomers that play a big role, and you're asking a lot of freshmen to come in and be that guy immediately. I mean, even guys good as Marshawn Lloyd, 
you know, it's asking a lot of a true freshman to come in and be running back number one from the day you step on campus. I know he's ready for that opportunity, but that's really what it's going to come down to, in my opinion, is Ryan Holinsky needs to take a huge step development-wise, and you're going to have to have a lot of youngsters contribute early on. Um, Andrew underscore the underscore textbook. When will Clemson lose again? Andrew, hopefully against LSU. I'm praying against LSU. Um, Fila underscore Gamecocks 11. Realistically, what are your predictions for the Gamecocks record? And I've said this before. I'm sticking with five and seven right now. Um, I think I think worst case is a four and eight season. I think best case is probably seven and eight and four would probably be best case. But again, I've told you guys before, I'm not getting my hopes up too high, you know, right now at all. I mean, I did that going into 2019 and it burned me. So I'm sticking with five and seven. That could change. I'll give my official predictions, obviously, in July when we go to SEC media days and all other stuff. But five and seven right now, gun to head is what I'm saying. Um, Brian underscore O'Malley underscore. Biggest recruit other than Jordan Burks is definitely Marshawn Lloyd. It's not even close. It's not even close. Um, he's the guy. He's the gym of the class, in my opinion. The guy you had to have. The guy that could be that game-changer type of recruit, if you will, a guy that's going to have every opportunity to be the starter in 2020. So I think Marshawn Lloyd, hands down, is that guy. Um, let's see. Tamer says, do you think Birch is going to screw us? No, I do not because of the comments he made over the weekend. I think he's solid with the Gamecocks. I don't think there's really anything to worry about. So, no, I don't think Jordan Birch is going to do that. Um, and here's another thing, too. Why would you pick South Carolina? Like, why would you pick South Carolina up front to only decommit and go somewhere else later? Like, if you were, if you had any doubts and you wanted to go with the quote unquote conservative or the safe pick, the safe pick is not South Carolina. I mean, so I, I just, I don't see it. I, I think he's a gamecock, 100%. Um, let's see. Let's see. Bend it hard, six 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 seven six. Nice username. If Muschamp does get fired next year, what type of coach do you think is best fit for us? I just think a young offensive mind that's obviously willing to hit the recruiting trail, but a guy who is a young offensive mind who wants to spread the field, throw the football around, and score a ton of points. That's the kind of guy you got to have, man. I just don't think – I don't like defensive coordinators as head coaches, and I think the way that football is going, it's all about scoring points and it's all about offense – I think that's the type of guy you need to get, an offensive-minded coach. Um, Ranger Will Garrett, Clemson or LSU championship sway Birch? Absolutely not. I think he's a Gamecock 100%. Um, Judd Rupp, do we have any shot at another linebacker for this 20 class? I, I, I think so. I, I think they're looking to add another one. I know they're going in the state of Georgia, especially with Mike Bobo's connects, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. I, I, right now, I'd probably say they don't add another one. But uh, I think the staff is probably working hard to add. Because, I mean, South Carolina needs linebackers, let's face it. They need linebackers desperately. Um, Judd Rupp, again, besides Huntley, how many other Hammond signees are expected besides Birch? I think that's it. And I think there's a preferred walk-on coming from Hammond. But I think that's pretty much it. So I think that's the only three guys. Um, last question, Jack McFadden 4. Do you think USC will reach the college football playoff within the next, within the next 10 years? That's a very good question. That's a very, very good question. The next 10 years. I'm going to say no, just because there's no historical evidence to suggest that I should say yes. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but again, I'm almost sort of still in wait-and-see mode. Like, I, show it. Show me, and I'll believe you. But I'm not willing to sit here and say in 10 years, you know, within, you know, within the next 10 years, the Gamecocks are going to the playoff. I mean – the South Carolina is, if everything broke perfectly, 
and South Carolina got the right coach, had the right play. I mean, I think you're still you're three to four years away minimum from competing at that kind of level. So that would give you like a five-year window to do it. I just – I'm going to say no, again, more so with the fact because the historical evidence does not favor the fact that it will happen. So I'm going to say no. Um, all right. Appreciate the listener questions, guys. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks while Garrison Gist. Garrison, an awesome dude, was there during the really the best years of South Carolina football. Obviously, a guy who's he's just a great person. Genuinely a great dude. We had a phenomenal conversation. It's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Guys, just because football season is over, you can still get your tickets and get money off. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP and you're going to save $20 off your first purchase, whatever it may be, Gamecocks basketball, football, baseball. It can be college football. It can be bowl games. It can be NFL. It can be concerts, comedy club events. doesn't have to be sports, MLB, NHL, whatever you need your tickets to. Heck, if you want to go to the national title game, save 20 bucks in the process. I know those tickets are expensive, but why not save some money? But whatever it may be, whatever you want to go to, SeatGeek's the way to go. They make it super simple, super easy to buy your tickets that with the ticket rating system which actually rates the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you're never going to sweat it again about, you know, weighing, well, where do I sit? How much do I pay? SeatGeek's going to do all that work for you. You're going to know up front how much money you're saving, how good of a value you're getting with those seats. And you're going to know if somebody's trying to rip you off, too, because we don't ever want that to happen. So it's really going to give you that peace of mind before you click the buy button. SeatGeek's making it super simple, super, super easy to get tickets. So again, go download the SeatGeek app. So that's S-E-A-T. G-E-E-K, SeatGeek, for a lot of you that, for whatever reason, don't hear me say that correctly. So it's SeatGeek. Go download their app, or you can go to SeatGeek.com, and when you create your account, use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, you're going to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks fullback, Garrison Gist. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up Show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2013 to 2015. Very, very pleased to welcome onto the show former Gamecocks fullback, Garrison Gist. Garrison, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, really excited to chat with you, Garrison. Your story is, is really unique and interesting and really excited to dive into it. So, you get to South Carolina. Just kind of talk about – let's go back to the beginning – you know, your football career, playing through high school. Obviously, you go to South Carolina and you walked on to the football team spring of 2013. But just talk about, I guess, being in high school, like what was kind of going through your thought process, what was going through your mind as far as uh, what you were going to do, at the, at, you know, in college or at the college level as far as football is concerned. And then how, how did South Carolina come up and how was that, you know, why was that the school for you, I guess? Um, so, I mean, in high school, I, I started, I was playing defense. Uh, I was a linebacker and a D lineman and then, Obviously, I wasn't the size to, like, go to the next level at D-line. So, I kind of wanted to we, – we ran an air raid offense. I wanted to uh, move to offense and kind of play like an H-back. But that didn't work out because we kind of took out our H-back. And I was more so just kind of playing right tackle. And then I would just get out on screens and stuff like that in the quick passes. So, I ended up being a lineman. But uh, it was one of those things. It was like I was a 5'8", five, 5'9", five, lineman at the time. So, it was like – you're not really going to go anywhere big to play O-line. So I had, like, small schools reach out and stuff. And then um, I had a situation where, like, I had my coach, he, he uh, had some connections at that state, and I was going to kind of try to go up there and do, like, a preferred walk-on situation. But um, it was kind of tough because, like, the out-of-state tuition that I would have had to pay for a year was kind of, like, kind of steep. So it was one of those things where it was like, do I go somewhere small and play football or do I just go to a school that I want to go to? 
and just go to school and be a student. And that's kind of what happened with USC. That was obviously uh, my first choice as mm-hmm. far as going to college just because home state, I've always been a Gamecock fan. So I was like, I'll just go to USC. And then after my sophomore year or first semester of my sophomore year, I walked on and um, ended up making the team. And then the rest is history. So, well, I mean, what – I guess the, that passion for football never really left. But, I mean, what, what I guess, sparked your interest or what made you want to try to walk onto the football team? It was just one of those things. I mean, I was obviously still kind of a bigger kid just because, mm-hmm. like, I was fresh out of, like, high school sports. Like, I played football and then I ran track. I just came off of, like, I did, like, a short stint of powerlifting where I broke some records and stuff. And, I mean, it once I was done with that, people were just kind of like, oh, man, you should, you should try out. I mean, what do you have to lose? You might as well. So it was one of those things, like, I still kind of knew that I could play, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to, like, pursue it. And then after enough people kind of just tell you, like, all right, man, you might as well try it. I went, I went ahead and tried it out. And it worked. It kind of worked out in my favor. I got kind of lucky. It was things, a lot of things went my way that day. So it ended up uh, working out for me. Yeah, it's funny, Garrison. I was going to say, like, every article or everything online about you talks about, you know, I feel like the things that stand out is the power lifting, you being an art major, an art guy. Obviously, anyone that uh, that follows you on social media can see your work. But, yeah, I mean, just talk about the power lifting side of things because I know you're a guy that's uh, obviously very successful in that. I mean, is it just something you've just always been, uh, well, I guess, good at or interested in? Or, like, where, where did that stem from? Man, I'm going to be real with you. That came – the powerlifting, like, actually competing, it came out of nowhere. Like, I've always been, like, a decently strong kid. Like, I had pretty solid genetics. My dad uh, was a college football player. He played at the Citadel. My mom was a track athlete. So, I've always had pretty solid genes. And um, it was just one of those things. I was in my last track season, and uh, we were – season was winding down. I think we had just finished up, like, region qualifier or something like that. And my coach, he was just like, hey, you ever thought about powerlifting? I can make you, like – way stronger I was like I mean I, I mean I was like I'm thinking at the time like oh man I'm already pretty strong I mean how much stronger can you really get and so you know I started working out with them and they had like a powerlifting team and like I started seeing crazy progress kind of quickly just because like the workouts and stuff I was doing and then they were like oh well you know what man you're doing all this training you might as well go ahead and compete so I did my first meet crazy enough first meet happens I break all the national and state records for my weight class and age group. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I might be okay at this. And then, you know, I did, I did one like a, a few months later, went up a weight class, broke all the records for that weight class and age group. And then I did that same meet a year later and rebroke all my records. And then after that, I just kind of like, by then it was my sophomore year at USC. So I kind of had got, I guess you would say, like, tired of the powerlifting. And then that's when I ultimately ended up walking on and um, making the team. So. so so, when you walked on, obviously, like I said, spring of 2013, you walk on. Uh, was it predetermined that you were going to be a fullback? Because, like, it's really interesting because, like, the I mean, you know, the fullback is like a, a lost art. You know what I mean? I, I tell people it's yeah. crazy that we have a former Gamecock, Patrick DeMarco, that's making a living in the NFL being a fullback. I know, right? speaks to how good of a football player he is. But, I mean, was it predetermined for you? I mean, did you try out for defense? They just moved you to fullback? I mean, what was the kind of like – what was the thought process there, I guess? Uh, No, it was was pretty predetermined. I kind of looked at the roster. I saw that we had one and that we somewhat incorporated one in the offense. Mm -hmm. You know, around that time, I think we still – it was coming off the DeMarco era, so I knew we were using them. Mm -hmm. And it was like one of those things. I knew, like, with my build and, like, my skill set that – 
it was something I felt like I could contribute to. So going into it, I, I think I just – when I went into it, I think I put, like, fullback and, like, special teams just because I knew I, had, I could catch, like, out of the backfield and stuff at decent speed. So it was like – and I was a bigger guy, so obviously I could block. And, I mean, they had all my uh, – I had my coach from high school send in some film of me blocking and stuff. So it, it was pretty, it was pretty predetermined that I was going to play fullback when I uh, walked on. So when you made the team, I, this is going to be kind of a, a, kind of a weird question, but I mean, how much did your life change? I guess like you went from the normal college student, like you said, power lifter, art major to you're on the South Carolina football team. I mean, anybody that knows college athletics or, you know, being an athlete at, especially at a school like South Carolina on the football team, you walk around basically like a, you know, like a celebrity or like a badge of honor, if you will. But, I mean, you got lucky enough. You walk on in South Carolina is in the midst of the greatest run ever in school history. I know, right? 2013. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, fifth straight win over Clemson. You win 11 games. I mean, did life for you, I mean, change at all as far as like your daily life at South Carolina? Um, I mean, in a sense, not – I mean, it did, but it didn't. Because, I mean, I was still like a – it was just weird. I tell people all the time, it's like I was still like normal – like, you, you know, there's, like, this thing with with football players. It's almost just, like, you, like, never really see them. You see them, but you don't really talk right. to them and stuff. It's just, they're kind of around. Like, it's like you said, there's kind of, like, that like that badge of honor. But I had, like, a whole full year and a half of being a normal student. So I kind of made all those connections and, like, knew, knew people. Are, so people knew me from, like, art and stuff. And then at that point, I was working at the Strong. So people knew me from, from that and stuff. Like, so it was weird because it was, like, the whole time I was playing football, I still kind of had my job at the Strong, and it was, you know, so it was, it was like, I don't know, it was like, it was still kind of the same for me. It was still pretty normal, I would say, but obviously, you know, you get, like, gear and stuff, and I mean, that, like you said, my story was kind of unique with the whole art major football player thing, so there were mm. different articles floating around and stuff, so people kind of, more people that might not have known me that I had already met kind of knew about me, but ultimately, I feel like it was still pretty normal for me. Like, it, it wasn't like a drastic change. How how surprised were people, maybe even still to this day, like how surprised were they when they find out like you're an art major? Because I, I feel like people have these, you know, unfortunately have like these preconceived notions like when they think of like a person that's an sure. artist or like they don't think of you, you know? <laughs> like, hey, it's just it blows, like how, how surprised are people when they find mind. it out? It blows people's mind, man. It's like I like, I'll, I always mess with people. <laughs> I'll be like, I'll give you like, say if I'm like at a bar or something or just doing something, I'll be like, I'll give you five guesses to guess what I majored in in college and I'll buy you a drink or something like, and nobody ever gets it unless they like, obviously like already know me, but it's crazy. Like cause people will meet me and I, a lot of times I won't even bring it up unless somebody else was like talking about it already. And then like, they'll meet me and then they'll like find my Instagram or something and I'll see them again. And it's like, Oh man, I didn't know. Like, I know you said you like drew and paint and stuff, but I didn't know you were like doing it like that. So yeah, it's, it's like, they, it's, I guess. So I mean, which I'm going to be real. If I met me and didn't like, if I wasn't me and I met me, I wouldn't expect me to be an artist either, but it's how it is. For sure. A very good one at that too. So I want to get back to on the field because obviously that year in 2013, um, yeah. you did see the field, your first ever action on the field against Coastal Carolina. I mean, just, just talk about what was going through your head, the rush of emotion. I have to imagine that was a really, really cool feeling just to get on the field for your home state school. Yeah, I mean, it was that. Yeah, it was real crazy because it was one of those things like coming into the season. I mean, the, the couple of the like head of operations guys were telling me I would have a chance to compete because you know we only had a couple fullbacks, and um, as the season kind of went on, I had a couple guys in me in front of me that were uh, older guys. I think like a redshirt junior and two redshirt juniors basically, 
And so, you know, I kind of knew that I would be redshirted and I probably wouldn't play. But then we had uh, one of our guys go down, I think, towards the end right there. And so I had a, I, I had the opportunity to get in and play in that Coastal game, which was cool because uh, obviously Coastal was one of the schools that I was choosing between when I was like, okay, I'm just going to go be a student. And so I got to get in and play a little bit. It was like, it was crazy because it was like, dang, like a year ago, I wasn't even thinking about football, let alone playing football for an SEC school. And then I get a guy gets hurt, next man up kind of situation. I get to play. It was cool because I, I, I got to block against a guy that I trained with in the summer back home in Rock Hill. So we were like good friends and I got to play against him. It was, it was just a cool day, man. It was definitely like one of those memories I won't ever forget. Heart was racing like crazy when I went in. I'm not, I'm not even going to lie to you. <laughs> no, for sure. Understandable, too. What Was there – because obviously that 2013 team especially, that defense was next level. I mean, was, was there like a welcome to SEC football moment for you like in practice where you're, where you're like going up against somebody and you're like, this is, uh, this is kind of a different animal? I mean, uh, it, it was, but it wasn't just – I kind of – it was weird. Like I don't want to sound like cocky, but I kind of know I can hold my own because, I mean – I've been playing against Clowney my whole life. Right, Obviously, right. we're both from Rock Hill. Mm. Been playing against him since a kid. Played against him in high school on ESPN. Gerald Dixon, I went to high school with him. So, I was going against him every day and practicing high school. And then uh, the rest of our high school D-line, we had uh, two guys that were playing at Clemson. So, I had kind of seen the size and kind of mm. knew what I was going to be getting into. It was, I mean, obviously, the game's a little bit faster. But um, it was, it was definitely like you definitely had a couple moments where it's just like, I was a fullback so more times than not I'm banging with the D lineman in, in practice. And you definitely – there's definitely times where I think uh, I think it was one practice. Uh, who do we have at the time? It was JT Surratt. I had to, we had to do, like, some weird trap block. I came through and he caught me real, real good. I was like, like a nice little head ringer. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I see where I'm at now. It was one of those type moments. But, yeah, it was definitely one of those things where I kind of knew I could hold my own. But I'm not going to lie to you. Like, there wasn't – moments where like obviously you get hit and it's like damn like that was that was kind of intense but for sure <laughs> dude what i gotta ask you what's in the water in rock hill where it's just like there was a i feel like there was a period there for like four or five years where i mean every every elite football player was coming from rock hill and going to south carolina it's just like i, yeah, I don't uh, the football up there's different i feel like man i don't even know how to explain it man it's, <laughs> they they start they start as young but it's, it's crazy it's like you said i mean and, I mean, even before, like, that little stint of my high school career where uh, there was, like, a bunch of people, like, our little – my well, just even my recruiting class, there were so many people that went to, like, big Division One schools. But, I mean, it goes back as far as, like, guys like Jeff Burris and, I mean, we, guys like Coach Simpson who played for us. I mean, the history – the history's there. Mm. I mean, even, like, Benji Young, who was, a, who was a captain at USC, he graduated from my high school and coached in my high school and stuff. So, it's, we just – I don't know. It's like we have, like, a rich history of – football culture I don't I don't know where it comes from but it's just it's just kind of one of those things like you said football and Rock Hill man is is definitely different it's it's super different I don't even there's no word to really describe it but it it keeps happening we keep putting kids on the next level and then guys in the NFL so it's like we're doing something right for sure so I want to ask you about Steve Spurrier obviously you played for him at South Carolina what were your first interactions like with Steve Spurrier and do you have any funny uh Spurrier stories I feel like everybody's got a good Spurrier story but do you have any Man. funny your Spurrier stories or any, any like funny Spurrier memories that you can uh, tell I'm me I'm trying about? to I'm trying to think I'm trying to think my first interaction with him um can't I can't remember I'm trying I can't remember my first interaction with him 
he knew who I was when I made the team because I remember I think I met him in a met him in a meeting and he knew who I was because mm. I did I did I mean I did some crazy shit at the tryout. It was like <laughs> it started raining. It started raining. We had to go into the weight room and they were like, all right, we're gonna do a two twenty five rep out thing. And it was like I was like, oh wow, this is like right up my alley. I got to kill right. this. And I ended up like I think I hit like twenty eight or twenty nine reps just like <laughs> yeah on my tryout. So that was like. They were like, I mean, that, and that was kind of the moment where I knew, like, all right, nobody else even came close to this. They're like all making a big deal out of it. Like, I think I, I think I might make it. So he kind of knew me from that because I think the word was spreading, like, with the coaches that I had did that. Which I mean, mm. still, that's. I mean, when I look at it and you compare it to like combine numbers, yeah, that's kind of crazy. So I understand it now. But um, funniest story, I was actually telling my mom and my sister about this the other day was when uh. We were at the bowl game in Orlando, and I, the guy in front of me, uh, Connor McLaurin, got hurt, and I had to play in the bowl game at fullback. And um, we, uh, I guess they held the press conference before practice or whatever, and he told him that I would be starting. We come into the meeting room or whatever, and it was like me and some of the old line. He goes, he's like, hey, hey guys, hey guys, did you did you guys know that guess his first name is Garrison? Like that's crazy, Garrison. Yes, look, would you look at that? I'm like, <laughs> I was just like. I'm like, really? I'm like, please tell me I haven't been on the team for a whole year and you're just now figuring out my first name. But it was just funny because he seemed so, like, shocked. And I, like, all the guys were looking at him like, yeah, Coach, we, we know his name. I mean, we see him every day. But, yeah, that was that was probably the funniest moment I had with him. Other than, like, him just us coming, like, practicing. Like, you turn your head and then turn back around and he's out there barefooted with, like, his shirt off or something. Like, you see, I'm sure we've all seen the pictures. And oh, stuff, yeah. The, yeah, the shirtless Spurrier pictures are just golden, for sure. I mean, he's just basking. I mean, like, nothing – You, he just maneuvers like you – like, he take, he'll just take his shirt off and just be out there. It's like, like nothing <laughs> happened. That's hysterical. That's that's so on point, on brand for Spurrier, I feel like. It, it's just – it's – so funny. So, Garrison, I want to get your your feedback and your take. Obviously, a guy that's a proud alumni yeah. on, you know, football season's obviously wrapped up. We're obviously, you know, college football playoff happened on Saturday, which unfortunately, Clemson, yeah. um, I think we can all agree on that. But, uh, hey, man, guy really likes that team. I was, I'm going to say that. I, I tell you, I, I, was really think, I was thinking all those years when Spurrier used to say God's smiling on the Gamecocks, I, I think it must be reverse now or something. Cause yeah, it, must put some little bad juju on it. Something. I, I don't know. Either way. So I, I want to talk to you though about Gamecocks football. And obviously mm-hmm. this season's wrapped up. We're in the off season. A really tough year in 2019 at four and eight. Yeah. Uh, the early signing period just kind of coming and going. And the Gamecocks picking up a huge commitment, obviously, on national TV and Jordan Birch. And there's yeah. some of them with that. But just from your perspective, from the outside looking in, just talk about how you feel right now as a Peacock fan and alum about the direction of the program. Obviously, we know what's on the line in 2020 for Will Muschamp and this program and what needs yeah. to happen as far as wins and losses. But, I mean, what's just kind of your take just from an outsider's perspective and someone that's a, you know, a former player at South Carolina, what's your take on, on the football program right now? I think, I mean, I'm, I, I love Coach, Coach Muschamp. I've only met him a couple of times because, you know, they were all coming in when I was on my way out. Right. So I feel like, I mean, I love what they're doing with recruiting because, I mean, we're getting the guys there. We just got to put it all together and turn those recruits into wins and stuff. I just – I think I think it's one of those things that started kind of with that era that I played in where those – I mean, we were winning. I feel like it was, like, a great thing for our, our school and, and at the same time it was a bad thing because it was, like, that that little five-year period of us winning so much, it, it kind of spoiled our fans. Like, mm-hmm. and you know how our fan base can get. So it's, it's one of those things, you know. It's for them. They got so accustomed to us winning. So now when we're not 
winning as much and losing is they're, they're a lot more impatient. They they don't – I hate to say trust the process. That's so cliche. Like a couple things go wrong, and it's like, oh, man, fire this person, fire that person, clean house, you know. It's, it's almost like they, they don't want to give things time to manifest. Like, I mean, it's an SEC program. Like, if we're being honest, we've never been, like, on, like, top of the SEC. I mean, we like right. I said, we had that great run, but, like, I feel like as ever since then, they don't really give things time to – Manifest. It's one of those things, and it sucks because I see how they talk to some of the players and stuff, and it's just, it's like, I mean, at the end of the day, these guys are still kids. You, I, it, it sucks, man, because like, like I said, I see our fan base. I played. I know, I know how it goes. It's just one of those. We just are, as a whole, we got to give things time. It's, it's a process. It's not gonna happen overnight. I mean, granted, we've always been able to pull in good recruits, but it's one of those things we got to get back to, like when we were winning. We got to get those in-state guys. That's, I mean, because. When we were winning heavy, I mean, we were pulling all. It's like you said, all the best players from in the state. We got to get back to that, and just I just we got to give things time to like cultivate and and let let it happen like how it's supposed to happen. We can't rush it. I feel like that's where a lot of our problems stem from. For sure. So before I let you go, Garrison, you know, I want I want to talk about obviously switch gears and talk about uh, you know you being an artist. I mean, obviously, I, like I said, anyone that's yeah. followed you on social media, seen your art, I want to talk go from the beginning. Where did that start for you? Like, where did that where did that passion come from? Because I know that's obviously something – it's like sports, right? You practice it and you get better. But, I mean, you have to have, like, a sort of natural gift to be able to do that, and you certainly have it. But, I mean, where, where did that interest in that and where did that passion sort of come from? Um, It, it always kind of, like – I've always done it. It's weird. Like, kindergarten, I remember, like, I would get video games. And, like, you know, the video games used to come with little books in there. I would try to draw the characters and stuff. It was obviously garbage at the time, but um, – it just kind of started there. And then, you know, I kind of graduated to just like, I would trace stuff. You know, I kind of, I think I started with like Disney characters and Dragon Ball Z. And then I think around third grade is when I kind of just like said, all right, I'm going to actually try to draw this stuff and stop tracing that way. It's like me. And then just kind of from there, I never really looked back. Six, like around middle school is probably when I like realized like, all right, you're kind of good at this. And then um, eighth grade, I kind of started getting more into like the graphic design stuff. So it was like, I took one art class in high school in my ninth grade year. And I was obviously pretty solid at it. Art teacher was on me trying to tell me to stick with it. I didn't take any more art classes after that. So I was more so focused on like the graphic design, digital stuff. Mm. So it's kind of like, in a sense, like it's almost just self-taught because I've never really taken any classes outside of that one high school class and like the mandatory art class. You have to take in like elementary school and stuff. But um, when I got to college, it, it, I was still pretty good, but I was kind of pretty far behind the curve just because of all the years of not actually taking classes and, like, honing my craft. But it, it still worked out. I mean, obviously, I'm doing pretty solid with it now, so I can't really complain. But, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things. I don't know where I got it from. My mom doesn't draw or do anything. My dad didn't paint or do anything. It's just kind of like me and my brother popped down and was like, okay, we're going to do art stuff. So here we are. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, because if you take a look at a lot of the pieces you do, Garrison, I think a lot of it, from at least what I pick up, a lot of it is based off of like pop culture and a lot of like cartoon yeah. stuff. And, For sure. you know, just kind of when, when you're sitting down and you're, you're like, let's say you're making your next design or your next piece or whatever, mm-hmm. like where, where, what's like your creative process, I guess? Like, where does the inspiration come from? Man, it's weird. Like, I'm obviously a Disney kid. You can see it in my work. I grew up mm-hmm. watching Disney, but 
man, I could, I don't, people ask me that all the time. I'm like, I don't know. I would be like in Walmart and like see the most random thing, like a pack of Oreos and be like, oh, that can, I can do this with that. And then boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, I got some like weird piece of like Oreo. I don't know, man. I just pour them anything, honestly. I literally, I could be like watching TV and see something like, okay, that would be cool if I flipped it and made it look like this and do this with it. I literally just pull from anywhere, like just real life cartoons, magazines, like whatever. It's, it can come from anywhere, like any moment. Like I can be like in a bar somewhere, like not even think about art and see something and have an idea and be like, all right, I got to get home and get this down on canvas or on paper before I forget it. It's, it's crazy. So, I mean, it's usually just like that. And then the actual process is just a lot of music. I just listen to music while I do it. And it like mellows me out and stuff that way I can, focus and do what i do nice nice very good yeah like i said anybody who hasn't seen it what is it two g's and counting is the instagram account yeah. um okay yeah, you, real quick because yeah. so many people ask me like what that means like my instagram <laughs> my twitter handle it's like it's two g's and count it's like a play on words but like obviously my name is garrison gist two g's and then i was like okay how can i make this like ooh, that was kind of catchy I just said and counting. Like, I don't, obviously there's not going to be any more G's added to my name, but it sounded cool. But so many people <laughs> ask me, like, what does it mean? So while I'm on here, I was like, let me explain that so people kind of know and can get like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. But yeah, I feel like I've never had a chance to like, I never like just came out and explained what it means. People there you just go. go <laughs> now everybody can know. Well, for sure. I'm, de I'm definitely, there's going to be at some point, there's going to be an art piece in the studio. I can assure you of that yeah, one no, last question. Yeah. We're definitely going to link up on that one last question before I let you go, Garrison, whether it's on the field, right. off the field, when you look back at your time at South Carolina, is there one, maybe a favorite memory or just something that sticks out about your time there? Um, favorite memory, man. Honestly, I wouldn't even necessarily say a memory. Uh, it's just kind of, I just, the brotherhood. It was like, I was talking, I ran into Ronald Patrick at the gym the other day, and we were just kind of talking about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's every time I run into one of the guys, we all say the same thing. It's like, yeah, you miss playing, but, man, you just kind of miss that locker room because it's especially, like, camp season when, like, there's nobody in Columbia. We're at the stadium, like, 16 hours out of the day. Like, you literally see each other all day, every day. Like, those locker room memories are just kind of just having to be there with each other. Like I said, it kind of like that brotherhood. Man. You miss that more than anything. It's just – the, the times, like I said, you miss playing, but, like, you miss the people more than anything just because, mm. like I said, you, they're your family. You spend every day with them. You see them every day. So it, it kind of becomes, like, second nature. You're just used to it. So once you, like, kind of move on and everybody goes your separate ways, it's, it's kind of weird because a lot of the times, you know, you've been around these guys three, four years. So it's always kind of uh, – it's just kind of, like, bittersweet when you look back at it because it's like, dang, you – you'll never be able to get back to that, especially with that group of guys that you were with because you formed that bond with that group of guys. But that's probably the biggest thing. No doubt. Well, Garrison, really do appreciate it, man. Uh, obviously, phenomenal conversation. Let, let everybody know before we go, where again, where they can go and find your artwork. Obviously, you sell a lot of the different art pieces, but let everybody know where they can find you on social media and where they can purchase some of the artwork. Um, social media handles, my Twitter and Instagram are the same thing, at 2Gs and counting, that's 2GZ. A-N-D-C-O-U-N-T-I-N. Um, I have links to my Etsy page with uh, the art that I sell on in the bios of both of those handles. So that's pretty much it. I mean, get at me through Twitter or Instagram, you know. I Like, people DM me. I'm not one of those people like, you DM me. I don't DM back. Like, I respond to people. So, guys, people ever have questions or anything, just hit me. I'm pretty accessible, so. 
Good stuff. Well, Garrison, really do appreciate it, man. We'll have to do it again soon for sure. All right, my man. Appreciate you having me. All right, perfect. So for Garrison Guest, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. What is it you want to do when you grow up?